Welcome to the Soul Forge, a place of silent mystery, quiet contemplation, and outright mayhem. Join your host, Sean Vanderloo, as he guides you through the adventures of living. Together, we'll talk about life and love, sex and dating, joy and heartache, memories and loss, and so much more. Don't worry, it's not nearly as pretentious as it sounds. Get ready for life, the universe, and everything on The Soul Forge. Hey folks, it's Sean here with episode 42 of Soulforge Podcast. Today we are bringing you a special episode all about life, the universe, and everything. This is episode 42, and if you'll recall from the movie, the television series, the radio program, the book series, the number 42 comes from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the answer to the ultimate question. And of course, my expert on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is Paul, also known on Twitter as Furbob. You've heard him on previous episodes of the podcast. He was my co-host on the Sci-Fi Waffle podcast. And what you're about to hear is an episode recorded earlier in the week where we talked about the meaning of 42. We talked about the meaning of life, and we also talked a little bit about Stephen Hawking, plus a few other random things here and there. So stay tuned for episode 42 Life, the universe, and everything. Here it is. In The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the supercomputer Deep Thought is built by a race of hyper-intelligent alien beings to determine the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Deep Thought determines that the answer is somewhat anticlimactically 42. It sounds like a joke, but is there more to this answer? Douglas Adams was an unabashed computer nerd and knew a heck of a lot about programming language and coding. In programming, an asterisk is commonly used to translate as whatever you want it to be. In ASC2 language, the most basic computer software, 42 is the designation for an asterisk. A computer, Deep Thought, was asked what the true meaning of life was. It answered as a computer would, 42, anything you want it to be. So that's what I came up with here. That's the quote that I found. And since this is episode 42, and you are my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy expert, what are your thoughts about that, Paul? Yeah, I think that's too many people reading stuff into it. I think um, Douglas Adams is becoming the new uh, William Shakespeare. You basically are, are told what to think and, and you know how you should think about his work and all this type of thing. Instead of just reading the book and getting, getting on with it. I have heard that I've seen that quote. I don't think it's right. Okay. Because... The Hitchhiker's Guide was written in 1977, and then, and then, so I said 1977. It was it was a radio series in 1978, so it was written around the 1977. I don't know how many people had computers at that time, and whether he would have known about the, you know, that much about it, yeah. about the the coding and things. Because, uh, because I guess they might have had that coding language back then. They must have, right? Yes. Okay. But uh, but whether he knew about it or not, he was very much a typewriter guy. He wrote a lot of scripts for for uh, television programs and things in the 60s and 70s. A lot of some of the Monty Python sketches. So uh, whether he would have known about computers or not, I don't know. I mean, I th- I think I, I I should have got my book down from the from the loft in anticipation for this. But I have got the um, the copies of the radio scripts, and there were notes written in there by him, of which he I'm sure mentioned 
somebody asked him about 42 and he said it was just a made up number. So I don't think uh, I don't think he's, he's uh, secretly putting codes into his work. It was just re- it was just something he wrote, rewrote and then wrote again 10 minutes before it went out on air. So um, I don't th- I don't think he was thinking too hard about the number. So it might have just been a coincidence. Oh yes, more than likely. I mean, if you if you look into to any of his work, you can you can find something that will be a coincidence somewhere. But they but people will attribute it to a you know a meaningful thing. They somebody on a, a recent um, podcast I heard uh, tried to find out what day uh, Douglas Adams actually had the Vogons arriving at the planet because there are certain clues in the in the script and in the book about what day that w- would have been. So you can take, for example, the fact that it was a Thursday because Arthur Dent couldn't get the hang of Thursdays. Mm-hmm, right, I remember that. Um, so, so that narrows it down right away to you know so many thousand possibilities. The uh, the year that it was written, the, the the price of beer. He goes into a into a pub and he orders um you know six pints of beer. And when he pays for it with I think it's five pounds, the barman he says keep to the, keep the change to the barman, and the barman's very surprised to get. You know, keep the change from, what, from a fiver? My goodness, you know, that's a lot of money that you're giving me as a tip. So if you are buying uh, six pints of beer for under five pounds, then it could only be within something like 1972 to 1980, something or other. Um, so this, so that sort of puts it within there. So there's only th- only those Thursdays from in between that two period. He mentions about a football game, a soccer match, um, and he mentions that, um, you know, Arsenal the football team are, are going to play a game that afternoon. Now, to be playing a game on Thursday, especially in the 1970s, is very, very rare. Mm. It's not a league game. They were always played at the weekends. European Cup games and even some of the you know, the knockout games, the FA Cup and all that, were midweek. So you can narrow it down. They actually found three days, three Thursdays, that would have applied to, oh. to that um to that sort of thing plus the fact it was it was in the afternoon and so it implied are you going to watch the game and it wouldn't have been on television more than likely and if it was then it was going to be late in the evening so uh, arthur dent lives or lived somewhere in somerset from you know the description of the town and what have you so if arsenal were playing they'd more than likely be playing at home in london uh, there is a game that they were playing on a, on a particular thursday so you would have had to have traveled from Somerset to London, which is a you know, couple of hundred miles or so. That's going to take him a bit of time. So it all sort of ties into this one particular date. Um, I can't remember what particular date that was. But the, the re- all this reasoning behind it was all based on the books, not on the radio series. The radio series came first. Okay. And the radio series, some of the, some of the arguments that we're using for, for finding that were not available in the radio series. Plus the fact I think he was miscalculating his price of beer. Okay. Uh, because he he, you know, the the guys he said, oh, you can get so many pints of beer for under five pound, and a bit of a tip. But I think no, the guy was very surprised at getting a, such a huge tip that it would have to have been less than four pound. So therefore, I think uh, I think his prices were wrong. They reckoned that the the date that Vogons arrived was somewhere was somewhere in 1982. Wow. Okay, that's a so lot of research. It's four, four years after. It's a lot of working out, and I think a lot of it was flawed. Um, and I think Douglas Adams, not knowing much about football, didn't think that Arsenal would, would have been playing on a Thursday. It was just something he made up again, again on the fly, half an hour before he was trying to get his script together and get it out on the on the radio. So that basically uh, leaves us with the idea that uh, the answer to the meaning of life is arbitrary, and it's what you want it to be. Exactly. Um, it's it's a comedy sketch written. But, you know, by a guy who had a great sense of humor and an incredible imagination. 
plucking things out of the air. And um, although there is a story now, if you remember the Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, there is a part which says that there was a um, a woman who was um, having a cup of coffee in a um, cafe in Rickmansworth, and she discovered the um, the answer to life. You know, that it would it would be perfect it was going to make everybody happy and it was it was going to work it was you know she got it right it was perfect it was brilliant and then the world ended right. when the the Bogons blew her up ironically um john lloyd who was a who was um, a co-writer of the um uh, of the hitchhiker's guide and he helped a big he was a big friend of douglas adams and he helped him write the get the books together and finish the books off because you know douglas adams was useless at deadlines he said his famous quote was Deadlines. I love the sound as they go whizzing by. Ah, uh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> so, so the he he couldn't finish the book. So John Lloyd helped him finish the books, and he said that Douglas Adams came up to him one time. And this was after he'd written the, the radio series and before he got the books together. And he said he had this. Sorry, it was after he got all the books together, and he was thinking of putting it into a TV series, in, into a film. I beg your pardon. He'd done the TV series and he was going to put it into a film. And he said he had had a thought about life, the universe and everything. And he'd had he'd come up with a couple of ideas that he thought would really change the world and, and would make it a much better place to live in. It would be you know, peace would be guaranteed, you know, the people's finances would be, you know, you know, easily fixed. And uh, John John Lloyd sort of looked at him and went, Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, okay, Douglas, you, you know, go back home, have a cup of tea. Two months later Douglas Adams died. Oh jeez. So he says it's uh, it was either a very um poetic you know, poetic justice that he he died after saying exactly the same thing his character did in the book. Um, wh- whether he did know it or whether he did know it, he, he will never know because he never told him. So uh, <laughs> he's, he's probably probably the only man who had the the idea that we could we could solve all our problems, and he died he died two months later isn't without that, writing it down. Isn't that the way it always goes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so Hitchhiker's Guide started out as a radio play. That's right. Then it became a TV series, a six-part. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, it it was books then, it, then or a book, and then the TV series. Then yeah. the TV series, and then he wrote the the sequels. That's right. And then it became the uh, somewhat not so great film from two thousand and four, I believe. That's right. Um, there was because there've been. Oh, I'm trying to think now. Um, there was a yes, that's right, because they they did the the film. Which was uh, an awful, mm-hmm. awful attempt at it. It was um, when you've already done the TV series and you've got the characters there, and, and most of them were the actual characters from the radio show. So the voices were correct, yeah. their acting was correct. They all knew the, the characters, and then you ditch all of them, and you try and use more famous people uh, or people, you know, contemporary uh, people, you know, the, the actors of, of their time. It, if you've li- if you've read the books, then it's probably not too bad. But if you've listened to the radio series and you've heard all the voices and you know what they sound like, to then put it into a film, it, it, it was wrong in every way. The, the, Marvin didn't look right. He was you know supposed to be more robotic than that. He was a round object instead of a like a 1950s type robot, which the TV series had him as. I, I from memory, I think. Was it Zaphod Beeblebrock's character only had one head, and he's actually supposed to have two? Uh, in in the movie, uh, he has two heads, but not at the same time. It, <sighs> it flips over or something. Mm. Yeah, you see, that's that's just poor. I mean, in in the TV series, they had a guy with, with the, the actual actor who, who played him in the radio series, but with an animatronic head on the side. Ah, okay. So you know, it was always there, or it was a dummy head, you know, in some 
places, but he had two heads all the time, which is exactly what he was supposed to have. Uh, three arms as well. Oh, okay. So, exactly. So it's it's just, yeah, it, it was just wrong in every way. And, and a lot of the people who, who were in the original radio series, or even the TV series, had died, including the, the guy who did the voice of the book. So no matter what voice they used for the book later on, it wasn't the continuity had gone and it wasn't right. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a wholly remarkable book. Perhaps the most remarkable, certainly the most successful book ever to come out of the great publishing corporations of Ursa Minor. More popular than the Celestial Home Care Omnibus, better selling than 53 More Things to Do in Zero Gravity, and more controversial than Ulon Kalufid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters, Where God Went Wrong, Some More of God's Greatest Mistakes, and Who Is This God Person Anyway? It's already supplanted the Encyclopedia Galactica as the standard repository of all knowledge and wisdom for two important reasons. First, it's slightly cheaper. And second, it has the words, Don't Panic, printed in large, friendly letters on its cover. They used Stephen Fry at one point, who I thought would have done a decent job of it, but just didn't sound right somehow. They they later later on they went and they've done it again. But they, later on they they increased the radio series from uh, two two seasons to five. And they again they used all some of the original actors and brought in some new ones, obviously to fill the places where people couldn't uh, either passed away or couldn't make it. And it went very bizarre and very weird after that. And they recently for the 40th anniversary did it again. Oh really? Okay, I didn't know that. And they went up to. Is it the hexagonal phase? I think it was. So they 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 they've done another either another series or an, a special one-off show. I can't remember. I haven't listened to it because I heard the adverts for it and it was awful. So a lot of the, again, a lot of the same actors, but and again, trying to it, it just doesn't work. It's it, it's written by other people and the I don't think the humour's right. It's not what Douglas Adams you know, was was about. There is more Douglas Adams in the in the the TV show Dirk Gently than there is in the Hitchhiker's Guide films and, and what have you. And I've I've read the Dirk Gently books and I've also read the uh, the entire uh, Hitchhiker's Guide series, uh, the trilogy in five parts, at least twice, maybe three times. Yes. A- and yourself, you must have read it quite a bit. Right, I've read it once. I've read the first two uh, once. Uh, now the problem I had at the time is they are not in the same order as the radio series. Oh. And I don't think they're in the same same order as the TV series. Uh, what he did is he sat down after he'd done the radio series and spent time on the book with John Lloyd, putting it all together how he wanted it to be. Now, the problem was that meant certain things went out of order. So what I did is I bought the two books. I started reading them and thought, no, hang on, this is all in the wrong order. So I chopped the books up oh. and rearranged them. Like you actually took the pages out? Yeah, I cut the whole thing up and then glued it all back together in in the order of the radio series. Wow. That, that's that's how fanatical I am about the radio series because it, it you know everything's there it's the the actors the sound effects your imagination to believe you know what it is the book uh, at the uh, like I said when I read it in the early eighties I I couldn't I just couldn't get hold of it because it was in the wrong order the humour was phenomenal it was brilliant it was brilliantly written it's hilarious. The, you know the, the, it is it is the, the, the all the um, the funny stories the jokes and, and the puns and, and you know the his outlook on life and his his little quips at things fantastic but i i couldn't get over the fact it was in the wrong order i have sort of half thought about reading it again soon and, and giving it a proper read now that i'm a bit older a bit more mature i can, I can put up with the fact that it's not in the right order because i want to get that experience of his you know his full 
the, you know, the full journey, the full or, you know, his, his outlook on life, his his look looking at, at certain aspects of life and, and 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 that. So I might just might just read that this year. And, I'm, and I need to once I've done that, I will then listen to the radio series again because that's uh, it's, it's been the 40th year this year of it. So uh, I need to listen to it. Now, if if my uh, memory serves me, you actually did a, uh, a several-part series, or at least a one-part series, on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as a midweek supplemental for the Rusted Robot podcast, did you not? I did. I did. I can't remember what episode it was. It was one of the early ones, but I did do um, yeah, it was about 20 minutes, uh, half an hour or so, uh, precy of the actual radio series, yes. I, I'm looking for that now in the archives of Rusted Robot, and I can't find it but uh, i think it's it's somewhere around 13 is it i think i'm not too sure i'd have to go back and look it's what it is one of the early ones oh found it here it was uh october 1st 2014 rivets ready room number seven the 1978 original release of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy meet fur bob aka paul Wright from the 10 forward podcast learn the history of douglas adams seminal work and we play a promo for the 10 forward podcast so that was that was way back in uh october 2014 Really? Yeah, and that... Uh, that 14. 2014. And that episode's still available for download. And any listener to this episode here on Soulforge can go back and listen to the archives of The Rusted Robot. Wow, that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, that's almost four years ago. That's crazy. Almost a f- Wow, <laughs> yes. Well, that, that that just shows that it shows how long we've we've known each other then, because that was not not long after we'd, we'd sort of... That would have been that year, wouldn't it? So it would have been the January of that year. I think we 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 got together and well, yeah, had a, had a chat at some point, didn't we? Yep, because uh, because we started the podcast in January of 2014. I'm looking through the archives, episode 42. We actually called it Life, the Universe, and Everything. That was September, just before you did your thing there. Mm-hmm. And one of the episodes actually was called Afternoon Tea with Paul, so mm-hmm. where they where we had our audience meet you. So yeah, yeah. So you you've been on the my podcasts for. Here it is, episode 36, Morning Coffee and Afternoon Tea with Furbob, April, August 10th, 2014. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about Stargate, Star Trek, Doctor Who, MacGyver, Arrow, uh, BSG, Lost in Babylon 5. We found out what a Furbob is, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had a shout-out to fellow podcasters. So, wow. So that, that, was, yeah. that was like a three-hour call we had, and I had to whittle it down to like an hour and a half, if I remember correctly. I, I know, yeah, we did go on a long time. You, you guys were eating breakfast, and I was eating lunch. Yes, I think that's why we called it morning coffee, <laughs> afternoon tea. That's right, because yeah. what, we have four or five hours of time difference here, so. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So my question to you, Paul, uh, what do you think the meaning of life is? <sighs> now, this is where I get all scientific and logical. Uh, rather than romantic and phil- philosophical, uh, because the, the the whole point of life is to reproduce and carry on being. Yes. Um, so to me, that's what that's what life is about. It's about surviving as long as you can and making sure that you leave your legacy behind you, which is generally your children, um, and you know, you leave them in a good position if you can. Other other than that, if if you want to put it in a, in the context of whilst you're around doing that, then really you need to be the best person you can be okay self <laughs> like self-actualization and uh increasing the joy and happiness of the human species yeah you could put it that way or is that too woo woo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's far too deep if, yeah. um <laughs> but uh, no i mean j- just to be the, the idea you you you've got to be the best person you can you you then um so that your um 
the next generation look up to you and see how to act and behave and carry on in that same vein. Whilst you're doing that, have as much fun as you can. And basically, I mean, the, the, the way I would sum up the way I feel, the way the way I, I try and be, and it is a, almost a quote from the Bible, but it's uh, it, it's very much, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you is, is the actual quote. And it's basically treat people how you want to be treated back. And if they don't, that's tough. But you know, in general, it's always to put me in good stead. You know, you just if you're a decent person, if you're a good person, then you will have a good set of friends, and you know, good things will happen to you. Not all the time, but you know, in general, that's that's the way my life has been. You know, I can't complain too much about you know what's happened you know through my life. It's been you know as good or as bad as anybody else's. But in general, I've got good people around me. People think I'm a decent guy, and that's pretty much. You know, what what I ask for. So the meaning of uh, you know, what is the, the actual meaning of life to me is that's what it's all about. Life in general is just about well, life just carries on. You know, none of us will be here in two million years' time. It'll all be gone. Right. So, so you know, it, it, we're just a blot on the landscape. We're just a little you know flick and little speck in the, of dust in the, in a in a massive universe. It's true. So so basically, uh, if I were to sum up your words, have kids. Have fun, do no harm, and uh, then you'll be gone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, I mean, that's, that's really all life is. I mean, other people will, will look into it and see other things, but to me, it, it is what it is. It only lasts so long. The older you get, the realize that you know, the, you know, the more you realize that I'm, I'm closer to the point where I'm going to die than I was the point where I was born. So I've got you know less time on this planet now, and it's far too late to be thinking oh well i wish i'd done this 20 years ago or whatever do, you know do, do it now what if you want to do do it now get on with it and enjoy it if you don't enjoy it stop it do something else and, and live your life with no regrets that's hard to do but yes at least try yes and see what you just said that reminded me of the uh the captain picard quote from star trek generations where he says uh, lately it's come to my mind that there's more days behind me than there are days ahead of me yes and, and, and even when i uh first heard that when i was like 18 or whatever i was that that always stuck with me it's like huh wow it is it's a frightening it's a frightening thought when you um, you know i mean i'm i'm uh, 53 now so it, uh, obviously i have got to the point where it's some you know I, i've got less in front of me than i have behind me so i i don't know when that point arrived because obviously i don't know when i'm going to die but let's say the average age over here is sort of you know mid 70s so they reckon and and but most people i know seem to be you know They've lived a lot longer than that, into into the 80s or 90s. My parents are still alive, and they're in the in their well, getting to their 80s now. So there's a fair chance I'll do the same thing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm thinking, well, the stuff that I you know I, I really want you know I should have done when I was younger and never did. I just wasted my time. I, you know, I spent a lot of money on stuff that I didn't need. I, I think a lot, um, a lot of us do that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, so it's getting to the point now where I'm I'm thinking, well. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I want to try archery. So, yeah, let's go and try archery then. So you go out and you do it. If I hadn't have done, I'd still be here in 20 years' time thinking, oh, I wonder what happened. I wonder what archery was like. I really would have liked to have given that a go. And by the time it, you're, you know, it, you're 70, you'll be a little bit too old for that. It's too late, yeah. I mean, there is there are a couple of archers there in our club that are, that are you know, at that age, and they're still doing it, and they're still good at it. But, you know, if, you know I, I wish I'd started it when I was 18, because I'd be bloody good now because i'm i've only been doing it a year and a half and i'm already quite high up in the club and you know doing quite well so um yeah it, 
if I tried it earlier, maybe I, I would, you know, I'd be better. But can't regret. I can't regret that. I can't look back and say, well, you know, that's a big regret, and I wish I'd done that. And I, no, I'm doing it now. So. Well, yeah, you have to. You have to. And yeah. and, and that's the same with me. I'm 41 right now. In September, I'll be 42. I, I kind of wish this episode was coming out in September for my birthday. You know, episode 42. That would be <laughs> that would be awesome to have this conversation then. Yeah. But still, it's, I'm in my 42nd year right now, so that's also pretty neat. Uh, yeah. And, and I think, you know what, am I at my halfway point? I, I don't know. Am I going to live to 84? Am I going to live, I want to live to 126. I want to make it to the year 2101. But uh, is that feasible? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, it's, it's something to aim for. It is. It, it's, it's been <laughs> my goal for as long as I can remember. So. Mm. Wow, I, I'd I'd love to to get to a hundred because I was born in 1965, so therefore it'll be 2065. Mm-hmm. Uh, twenty sixty five. So therefore it'll be twenty sixty five. Twenty sixty five. Yeah, twenty sixty five. Yeah, twenty sixty five. Yeah, and I'm fairly certain that twenty sixty five was when Thunderbirds was set. Ah, okay. So so I should be around to see it. And, and that's also one of your favorite uh, television shows. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That was it was created in the same year that I was uh, I was born. Mm-hmm. It. Uh, it, it's still it's still going in one form or another, and um, I'd love to think that I, I was, you know, I, I was I was alive in 1984 when obviously George Orwell's book was written, you know, written about Space 1999, the TV series. I've, I've lived through that. Yeah. So and and uh, what was the other one? Uh, UFO, I think, was another Jerry Anderson television series that was set in 1980. Ah. So you know, I've lived through all of these things that have predicted. You know, think these things will happen in the future, and none of it has. So uh, I, I don't expect Thunderbirds to have happened by the time we get there, but it would be nice to get to it and think, I live to the year that they predicted. Well, next year is uh, 2019, in which uh, the universe of Blade Runner takes place. Do you think we'll have uh, robot bodies by then? Replicants? What? Well, I tell you what, with the rate of um, of technology at the moment, it, that's not um, you know, it's not not impossible. <laughs> it's true. It's not likely, but it's not impossible. No, <laughs> no. I mean, we've already got uh, a lot of cyborgs walking around at the moment, so why wouldn't we have uh, mm-hmm. you know the full robot experience? Hey, I like it. The full robot experience it sounds like a band name <laughs> or a really bad movie. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or a very bad theme park. There you go. <laughs> Westworld all over again. Yes, yes. I, I still have to watch that. Yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I'm. I, the only way I could watch it now is probably on DVD. Mm, that should be. Is, does that come out on DVD? I should imagine it would do. Yeah, I would think so. I don't, I don't get. Yeah, I mean everything else seems to have so. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to ask you also. One of the smartest men that ever lived recently passed away we, we lost Stephen Hawking on uh, March 14th that's right and he was he, he was a citizen of the UK was he not he was uh, hard to tell by his accent but <laughs> oh that's bad <laughs> I like it well well the funny thing is a lot of people thought he was American oh really because because he used um, the, one of the you know one of the very first hand phone machines uh, you know was that voice synthesizer software was from from one of them but because it was based you know, it was it was used um, from an American company uh, that's the voice he had and therefore that's the voice he kept because he said he always said he didn't want to change the voice because some people were saying why don't you just have a proper voice or a nicer voice or a British voice and he said because nobody would recognise me that's his trademark yeah. So, um, so yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to t- it's hard to tell from his voice that he was actually British. I did hear a, um, a quote uh, from somebody in work who um, they were talking about 
various people and, and robots and things. And then somebody made a comment and, and he said, oh, you're just like the British, the British Stephen Hawking. Thought, no, Stephen Hawking was British, you fool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so was it was it a big deal over there? Like because he was a citizen of the UK and you live in the UK, you're a citizen of the UK yourself. Was it uh, all over the news or was it just like another day in the life? No, no, it was all over the news. Yeah, I mean uh, he was you know very much uh, revered and, and highly thought of, uh, and he he, um, he he was still you know he was obviously over here. He was he was still active and, and making comments on on various things in in life in general and, and obviously the uh, you know, the scientific community. So he was still you know active in that part. Uh, everybody knew who he was because of, not just in the science community but because he'd, he'd spread himself around uh, you know he, he had a, an amazing sense of humor so he did a couple of uh, things like the simpsons obviously and um he was in star trek as it you know, played himself i think he's the only person to play himself in star trek mm-hmm, it's true all right so, yeah so uh, there, there was that and he had also done one of the um uh, the comic relief shows over here where he'd, he'd um done a little uh, comedy sketch uh, with that. So, I mean, yeah, this amazing sense of humour really sort of endeared him to the, to the general public. A lot of people had, had bought you know, bought his book, you know, A Brief History of Time. Um, most people famously have not read it or read it all the way through, <laughs> or, or, but a lot of people did buy it. Or understood it. Yes, that's right. I mean, he said it was one of the most uh, widely sold books that nobody's ever read. He, he was he was well-known and well-thought-of and... and um, an amazing, uh, amazing person. I thought uh, the film uh, that came out, uh, was it, oh, what was it called? Theory, Theory of Everything. Yeah, that was an amazing film. It was, it, you know, it really sort of captured his his early life and you know and and the you know the things he went through. It, it was set in a period of time, obviously that you know. But it it was you know, again, and that that sort of brought him to to more to the public attention as well. You know, people realised what he what he had gone through and how long he'd been going through through it as well. It was yeah, a remarkable person. And there was a, again a couple of people had interviewed him. Uh, there was a comedian over here. Uh, an Irish comedian over here that, that had interviewed him, and uh, he said, uh, Stephen Hawking said to him, he said, you know, do you mind if I tell you a joke? And he said, he said no, tell tell the joke. And he said, um, so uh, an an electron, an, an electro, I can't even say it now, an electron walks into a hotel, goes up to the uh, uh, to the reception, and the receptionist says, uh, would you like a room? He said, yes. He said, do you have any luggage? He says, no, I'm travelling light. <laughs> See, you've got to be a bit of a scientist. That's a scientific joke. Well, sure, yeah, because yeah, yeah, light is a particle. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, he had a, he had a great sense of humour, and uh, like I say, I'm sure people haven't quite, you know, a lot of a lot of the general public haven't quite realised that we've been living in an age um, of Einstein, if you like. Mm-hmm. Like we all know Einstein. We all know he lived in the you know in the 1920s and 30s and what have you. But we, you know, nobody had li- nobody that we really knew had lived while he was alive. We don't. I don't think we quite realised that in a hundred years' time, people will be talking about Hawking in the same way as they do about Einstein. Exactly. And we've lived through that time. We've seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen him come up with these ideas and theories and read his book and, and what have you. So it's quite an honour to have lived at the same time as him uh, and been around while his theories were were still being bandied around and, and played with. Well, that's right, because because Einstein he died in 1955. Uh-huh. That's ten years before you, twenty years before me. So yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. And, and really, he was he was more active, like I say, in the twenties and thirties. You know, so his, you know, my grandfather would have been very young when he was, you know, um, you know, still, you know, bringing out his theories and what have you. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he how he is remembered and what what things of you know what equations and things are still going in in the time. Will you know will any of his? I mean, he he famously came out with a few theories which he later then dismissed. Which is what every scientist does. They always put theories out and, and wait for them to to be broken down or dismissed or proven wrong or whatever. That's the whole point of science. Well, that's right. Um, so yeah, it would be interesting to see how uh, how his theories hold up over the years. And and who is his replacement? Is there anybody right now that you can think of that's uh, doing the same kind of work, the same brilliance? I can't. Well, that's, no, I can't. And I think that's that's the problem. A lot of science. It takes us one of these scientists who have a bit of charisma, a bit of something about them. The you know the you know Einstein obviously you know he, he he was very popular at the time and he did a few things that you know sort of brought him into the public eye as well as just being a scientist and what have you. Richard Feynman was the same. He was he got on TV a couple of times. His, his lectures have become well known and you know people have started talking about him, saying this guy's a you know a real wacky guy and he, but he can explain things in such a simple way and his theories are you know string theory and all this type of thing. He was another one who who became well known and famous for more for what he did off the camera than really you know what he was doing you know uh, you know he did a couple of tv th- you know, bit of tv work but mostly he, you know his theories were, nobody knew what the hell he was on about but it, it's you know his work revolutionized a lot, a lot of stuff and he worked he worked you know in uh, los almos do, you, know, w- you know doing work on the uh, on the atomic bomb and what, and what have you and it, you know he but again he had the ability to to talk to people and explain things in in such terms that it was so easy to understand without actually knowing really what he was on about, and that's that's a rare gift. And I think uh, um, Stephen Hawking had a you know a similar thing where he could you know he could make his theories known you know quite simply, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same at the same time you still really don't know anything about the subject, but you understand what he's on about. And, and everybody loved him too. Oh, of course, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, he was uh, you know I never never really heard bad things said about him. Um, you know, not even you know bad jokes or anything like that, or you know about his disability or whatever. It was always, you know, he was always spoken with about you know, with you know with a lot of pride and a lot of admiration uh, because he was British and because he was one of us. You know, it was good that we had a a scientist that was well, you know, you know because every other scientist was either you know German or American or or whatever. Um, so this guy being one of us was was phenomenal, and to be doing that out of a wheelchair and with a, a disease that was crippling his body, if, you know, if not his mind, um, it was amazing. And, and the fact that he lived uh, 50 years longer than he was uh, expected to. That's right, he, and he was the, you know, the 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 oldest living uh, person with his condition. So it's uh, you know, and, and the will to get to carry on as well. I mean, he could have just given up and said, you know. At any point, he could he could have said, "No, this is not for me. You know, I've, you know I can't do what I want to do and all that." But because his mind was still active, and uh, you know, he, he could still get his thoughts onto paper and and you know, do do the work and the th- and do all you know, get his all his theories together. It obviously kept him going. But uh, any lesser mortal, I think, would have you know given up and just given up. Withered yeah. away, faded into ex- uh, non-existence. That's right. Well, an amazing, amazing, you know, the support he had as well, the people around him who supported him. Um, you know, that's, that's, it is a 24 hour a day job. And, you know, it's, it, it's always, you know, the, those, you know, the carers and all that and his wife and wives, you know, the, the, what they had to put up with, you know, the day to day stuff, oh, yeah. um, you know, is, you know, is phenomenal. Yeah. So the, the meaning of life 
I infer from Stephen Hawking is just to uh, keep living as long as you can and contributing as much as you're able and just keep going until you can't anymore. That's right. And then try, trying to discover life's mysteries. Which is, that's, that's, that's was his aim, wasn't it? And that's what we're all here for, I think, too. That's right. And if you, if you ever discover what they are, let us know. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. I had a great time recording it with my good buddy, Paul. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or emotional outbursts that you'd like to bring to the attention of Soulforge Podcast, please feel free to email the show. You could tweet the show. Join the Facebook page. Make a comment. Leave a review. However you do it, just get in touch with us. Let us know how you're doing. If you'd like to be on the show, that would be awesome. Always looking for new content. If you have a topic you'd like me to bring up, let me know. That would be awesome as well. It's also appreciated if you could share the link to the episode on your Facebook page or on your Twitter. Let people know that you're listening. Let's get a larger community going. Get some feedback and dialogue and all that good stuff. But until next time, have a great day. And remember, your time as a caterpillar has expired. Your wings are ready. This has been another episode of the Soul Forge Podcast. Contact the show by emailing soulforgepodcast at gmail.com or by tweeting soulforgepod on Twitter. Visit us at soulforgepodcast.com and remember the best way to show your support is by leaving a five-star review in the iTunes store. And if you would, please check us out and like us on Facebook. The Soul Forge Podcast was written, produced, scored, edited, engineered, and directed by Sean Vanderloo. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Darth Vaderloo. For more great content, you can listen to my other podcast, The Rusted Robot. Thanks for stopping by the Forge. We'll keep the fires lit until your next visit. I could do this all day. This has been a Valley of Vanderloo podcast production, all rights reserved. This transmission ends now.